0: Going to continue to uh, study the series we started really two weeks ago. Last week I was away and got to visit with Clay and, and Bethany. That's my oldest son, my daughter in law. And uh, Subi, Subi, our grand puppy. Yeah, Subi, our grand puppy. And uh, we brought Pugin, our new puppy. And, and uh, well, we had a family altercation. I'll just put it to you that way. And uh, so we're going to have to work that out in the future as to whether or not our our, our grand puppy and our puppy can get together or not. But nonetheless, we had a great visit with Clay and Bethany, and uh, I know you had a great day here. I appreciate Pastor Noah uh, pinch hitting for me, and and he does a great job, and it always makes me feel good when I can go down the road and know that everything's just solid and I'm not going to have a bunch of messes to clean up uh, when I come home. Thank you. If, if I'm ever away, can I just ask this one favor? If I'm away, don't cause a mess. Hold your mess till I get back, all right? Nothing worse for a pastor than to be away and, and have a mess going on. So just call time out and hold on to your mess, and then you can let it go when pastor gets back, all right? But uh, we had a wonderful time, had a, an, an incredible, awesome worship service at Free Chapel Every time we go and have opportunity to worship at Free Chapel and listen to Pastor Jensen, it just seems like, uh, even though I know 14,000 people are going to be there that weekend, I always feel like there was a word that was written for me. And and there was another word that was uh, released, and it was just awesome and over the top. And so we enjoyed it very, very much. But I do want you to know that as far as Tracy and I are concerned, there is no place like home. And there's no place like being at your own church and being with your own people. And we missed you. We delighted in being away for a week, but glad to be back and glad to see all your smiling faces. But two weeks ago, we started a a new teaching series. Uh, I've been saying it was more like a counseling series. And we've just called it dealing with your dysfunction, dealing with your dysfunction. Now, you would think people would come out of the woodwork for this. Uh, Truth of the matter is that you would be amazed at how few people really think they have any dysfunctionality. Truth of the matter is most folks are convinced that they're the normal ones and the rest of the universe is crazy. In fact, they're the ones that are thoroughly and completely right on target and everyone else is the one that has the problem. But it's like I said two weeks ago, there's a little dysfunction in us all. And if for no other reason it is because you and I were born with a sin nature, which, you know, at its most, you know, uh, most most elementary part is basically selfishness, and so, and so all of us are born with just enough selfishness and selfishness in us that it's going to cause us some dysfunction. And the last time we were together, as you will recall, we talked about decisions. Now, if you uh, didn't hear that message, I really encourage you because I'm just I'm just laying some things out in these five or six lessons that can really help you get through some things in life and begin to address areas that, that are not functioning as well as you would hope they would function. And decisions are one of those things that you need to get a hold of. And if you need to pick it up by, uh, I was almost said cassette, by CD, or if you'll pick it up on iTunes, you can pick it up absolutely free there and you can catch up. Because if you want to live, not just a normal life, but a prevailing, triumphant, overcoming, more than a conqueror, abundant life, then you're going to have to learn how to put together good, godly decisions. Now, I put this on the screen overhead. Hopefully, we can keep it up there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be moving quickly here, but write it down. That the quality of your life, at this point, is directly related to the decisions you have chosen. In other words, wherever you are at today, if you're at a good place in life, you're there because you made some good decisions. Now, nobody makes perfect decisions, but but if you're at a good place in life, you can say, well, I've made some good decisions that has got me to this good place. Now, if you're at a poor place in life, you have put together some bad decisions, That have brought you to the place you are. So wherever you are this morning, you got here by virtue of some decisions that you made. Now, knowing that, listen to the second half of this. The quality of your future is directly related to the choices you will yet make. Now, I believe that with all of my heart. I believe God is good and he has a great plan. His purposes are awesome. I believe he has a destiny for absolutely every single person. He wants something to happen in your life that's fulfilling and brings contentment, that'll meet your needs, that'll prosper you, that'll bless you, that'll that'll overtake you in blessing. These are the promises of God's word. But we have to respond to his moving and activity in our life. And responding means a decision. And if you want a great future, then as God begins to paint this, this portrait to you, you've got to... Make some decisions to begin to move in that direction. Now, as we get started in all of this, I want to take just a moment and I want to define, you know me, I like to start at, you know, floor one, ground zero. Let's define dysfunction. I remember now years ago when I was in seminary, I was in graduate school and you took all these different classes and one of the, one of the classes that they had for you to take was called pastoral counseling. And in this pastoral counseling class, um, they, would, they would help give you some general instruction as to how to begin to counsel people, how pastors counsel people, spiritual counseling, some psychology was involved in that as well. But I remember that in order for us to kind of grab a hold of what was going on out there in the, in the mental health community, we had to know some of their terms. And so uh, we began to learn about things like neurosis and psychosis. You know, what was the difference between a neurotic and a psychotic? And I remember the joke we used to say, I realize it's not funny if people face it, but the joke we would say in order to remember it was that a neurotic was someone who thought he saw castles in the clouds. A psychotic was one who lived in those castles in the clouds. Now, I cannot tell you how much true neurosis or psychosis exists in our country, or for that matter, the church. But I can tell you, we're not whole as a people. If statistics are true, and most of the time I think statistics are, that there are enough crime being committed and infidelity and divorce and abuse and addictions and depressions and all the other things that happen in people's lives, if these things are any indicator... It takes no sociologist to tell you that people really need help. I was on a remnant conference call this week. For those of you, I think I mentioned it before. um, Pastor Larry Stockstill has a real heart for this nation. And so he divided the nation up easily into the 50 states. And he found somebody in each of those 50 states that he could uh, interact with. And he could begin to communicate with. And uh, we are helping him, those of us that are representatives of different states, we are helping him uh, try to find a way to, number one, is bring back some sense of functionality to the ministry. Because how many of you know if the head's sick? That's right. There's a lot of things that flow down from the head. That's right. So we, we want to help get the ministry whole as well as help get the nation whole again. And uh, there were 40 pastors on that particular call from almost every state, obviously, of the union. And uh, we're doing our best in order to network and do what we can in our individual states in order to reach out. In fact, I might just share this with you that if you're here and a lot of you, of course, you know, pastors all over and I'm not asking you to go recruit or anything like that, but you might mention to them that there's a movement that's happening. Of pastors who just are tired of the silliness that we see on Christian television. Who are just tired of this this absolute lack of character and integrity that is demonstrated today. And it's accepted. That's what's even scarier. And And, and that there's just this movement of men that's not self-righteous in any way, shape, or form. But just doing their best to try to get things back on target again so that we can alleviate the hand of judgment that's going to come to this nation if we don't get our acts together and in a hurry. I realize America right now thinks it's impervious to judgment. I don't know about you, but all it takes is a little swine flu. Now I know we choked, and I did too. But do you realize you could shut the educational system down like that? according to Deuteronomy 28, it says that the nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord, its God, will face pestilence and disease. Don't think that this somehow gets by us. Don't think somehow that we have such technology and such medical knowledge and science that somehow or another we can escape it. If all of a sudden God just let or allowed a disease to be released in the earth we couldn't we couldn't mobilize quick enough you understand swine inoculations won't even be available till the fall this isn't to solicit your fear i believe psalm 91 to be true that his angels are set as a guard around about me that no deadly pestilence is coming my way see that's why it's time to get our act together because you know what if you're not if your act isn't together and you're not walking in obedience then there's no hedge Uh, Oh, well, we'll just, just, that's another message for another day. But on that phone call was also Tony Perkins, and some of you may recognize his name. He is the president of the Family Research Council, and a lot of times they'll put him on Fox News or CNN or cable news. And uh, he is on the front lines of all sorts of political and cultural happenings in America. And he said that from a political standpoint... We are culturally going full speed in an anti-biblical direction. Now, let me tell you, I pray for our president and I pray for his family and I want so desperately for him to succeed. I think there's so many good things that could come from our new president. But folks, I'm just telling you right now that, that the first executive order that was given from the White House was to refund abortion with our tax dollars in other words you and i as we pay taxes are now funding for other people to go get their abortion the new health and human service secretary is the former governor of kansas and since i have midwestern roots i, I am well aware of what's going on behind there and when tiller the partial birth abortionist was challenged They're in Kansas and they tried to pass legislation to stop him from pulling babies out of the womb at full gestation. I'm talking nine months old and killing them. They tried to pass legislation to stop that act. We're not talking, we're not even arguing about first trimester abortion. We're just talking about nine month full gestation abortion taking place in Kansas. They passed it, but the governor vetoed it. I don't care if you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, and I'm as irritated at Republicans as I am Democrats. I'm an equal opportunity offender to both political parties. No, Not one of them has it really all that together. They've passed hate speech crime legislation. It's already passed the House. You haven't heard this because the news doesn't want to let you know that it's passed the House, it's going to pass the Senate, and it's going to be put into law. And what that piece of legislation is this, that there's going to come a day when they're going to determine that if I preach out of Romans chapter 1 and look at you and say that homosexuality is a sin against nature and against God, that can be considered hate speech. Now, I tell you, we better get our act together. We better do it. We as a nation are facing pestilence. We are facing economic turmoil. And somehow or another, we are blind to not think the divine clock is ticking. We got to get our act together. And it starts in the house of God. Judgment doesn't begin at the White House. Judgment begins at your house. It begins at my house. My biggest concern isn't President Obama. My biggest concern are you folks right here. The biggest influence and effect I can have are in households right here. And if God were to grant me greater influence, that's wonderful. But what we have to do is we've got to start where we are. And we've got to deal with our dysfunctions. And if we can become whole people, we can look at our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers. And we can begin to start a movement of wholeness. Now, on the screen overhead, I want you to write a couple things down might be interesting Let's let's define dysfunction. Dysfunction may be defined as, in fact, if you were to look it up in the dictionary or to ask somebody even from the secular world, it would be defined like this. Any deviation from normal behavior, any deviation from normal behavior, that makes sense. But I'm going to suggest to you this morning that that normal is being redefined in our era. What was once considered decades ago abnormal is now considered normal. What was considered unthinkable is now considered acceptable. And, and, and so just to throw up that definition to say any deviation from normal behavior, what's normal? You all know in the day and age we live in, live in it, I mean normal, What is what in the world is normal? I mean, I don't watch this stuff, but I know enough to know that if Jerry Springer is normal, we in trouble. Sure. So so I'm going to redefine that so that you can understand where I'm coming from. I believe that dysfunction, as we as Christians should understand it, is this. Any deviation of behavior from God's intended design. Any deviation of behavior from God's intended design. We can look at people who are dysfunctional in the earth. We know them to be, I mean, right now, I'll just, well, I've already opened the can. I know there are people who struggle with homosexuality and homosexual tendencies. And in the society we are living in, what we're saying is enable it, marry it, be okay with it. And so suddenly, that original definition is no longer adequate, at least in my mind. So we've got to understand that if we want life to work right, we're going to have to begin to think like God thinks. There are many things that the world calls normal that aren't. The reason society and marriage and families are in such a precarious position as many are in is because we haven't really grasped normal. It's normal. Think about this. It is normal today to be incredibly in debt. It's pretty much normal. I mean, do you know of anyone that's really not in debt? I realize some of you may not be. But by and large, they'll, they'll announce every. Every person in America, every household has X amount of debt. It's becoming normal. Normal, listen to me. I hear this. It's normal to have children who rebel. Yeah, it is. In fact, I've heard Christian parents say this. Every child has a prodigal season. I'm just quoting things that Christian parents have said. Every child has a prodigal season. I've heard that. It's amazing how they always want to compare their children to the prodigal, but why don't they compare them to the Lord who was found in the temple at 12 years of age? Say, we've, we've got to rethink some things. I've heard parents say this. Well, they're going to have sex anyway. That, see, that's becoming normal. It's normal. We think every child's got to somehow or another be afflicted with ADD or ADHD. It's normal now to find out if we're sexually compatible before we get married. I mean, we haven't even touched attitudes and emotions and warped thinking. I mean, normal, what is normal anymore? And we want life to work better, but we don't want to do what is necessary even as a Christian to begin to deal with these dysfunctions. So this, this May, this series, I'm going to try to just mass counsel some folk here. And I'm going to give you through this month about five general keys to help you get started toward what God says is normal. Now, this is what I believe. If you want joy, if you want peace, if you want life without guilt, if you want what the Bible calls abundant life, then we're going to have to do this God's way. And so we're going to deal with certain concepts. I'm just not, not going to pick an issue and just work on an issue, but I'm going to hopefully give you some things that you can apply to whatever your issue is this morning. How many of you know if 200 people are here with us this morning, there are 200 issues that are moving in people's lives? Doesn't make you a bad person. Doesn't make you evil. It just means that's your dysfunction. But you've got, I may never get, do you realize, I don't have 200 Sundays to get to you. So I've got to give you some things that hopefully you can begin to apply, or what we call connect the dots with, I can only hope, that will enable you to begin to deal with these things and hopefully find your way through. And so we dealt with decisions two weeks ago. And now what I want to talk about this morning, and if you found the book of Job, Turn to chapter 5. I'm going to be reading verse 17 here in just a minute. I want to talk to you about what I've been called embracing the need for correction. Embracing the need for correction. In Job chapter 5, and I have read Job for years, and every time I read Job, it's not an easy book. I don't think it's nearly as easy as some people have made it. and, and, And I've come to some conclusions about it myself. I believe Job was being challenged, obviously, by the enemy. It is clear. The Bible says that he was a blameless man. He was practicing covenant. His household seemed to be in order. The kids were practicing covenant. The wife was a part of it as well. And then all of a sudden, the the enemy is having a conversation with the Lord, and the Lord says, Have you considered my servant Job? And God was just bragging on him. Wouldn't that be cool if God bragged on you? Have you considered my servant, so-and-so, have you considered my servant? Have you considered my church? Have You considered my church legacy. Have you considered them? And the enemy looks at the Lord and in this conversation says, well, yeah, why not? Look at what they've got. They've got everything and here and here and here. And, you know, he's the accuser of the brethren. And so he's just he's just yeah, yeah, them before the Lord. And basically, he says, if you take it away from them, you just watch what they'll do. And and so as you go through this particular book, you see that the Lord allows, I'm not, the Lord didn't do this. This is really important about Job. God did not produce these issues. The enemy produced it. Now, obviously God allowed it at some level. So the enemy comes in and begins to start all of this upheaval and trouble in Job's life. And so as all of this has taken place and he's being hammered in every way possible, he doesn't understand, at least at this point, in Job chapter 5, what's going on. We get a little revelation out of Job chapter 3 when he said that the thing I feared the most has come upon me. In other words, he was living in fear. He was living in such fear that that fear was able to be used in order to bring about some of these incredibly difficult moments. Can I just share this with you? That's why you've got to break fear off your life. Because the very thing you fear will happen. Fear and faith are the same life force in you while well, fear is death force and so you've got to understand that while faith faith is the deed to those things that God has for you fear is the deed to those things Satan would like to do to you and, and so he was functioning in fear so that factors in there somewhere but then he gets these three friends that come visit him now as I've read Job through the years and I've read his three friends I've really kind of just juggled them a little bit because it it's not easy to get a handle, at least for me, on these friends because, because I read some of what these friends say and, and I really, I agree with it. But obviously it isn't what Job needed to hear or what was going on in Job's life. And uh, I honestly believe this is where I'm at. And, and I want to say this, I shared this with Trace the other day and she says, be sure you share that well because this, this can come out kind of skewed if it's, if it's not shared quite right that his three friends, as his three friends come to visit him, one says, you know, all this is happening because you sinned. Well, obviously, Job hadn't sinned because God called him blameless. And another friend, I don't know, comes and, and says something else, and then Eliphaz, who I'm going to read here in just a minute, comes, and basically what he says is that he's being chastened. Now, here's the deal. All of these things have an element of truth in them. If you sin... Bad things will happen eventually because the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. So sin can produce bad things in your life. Will God chasten you at times? Certainly God will chasten you at times in your life. But the key is is that I think it's really important that we all, like Job did, is he's listening to his friends and and he's working through all of this. That he worked through to the place that he finally got the revelation of what was going on in his life. For so many people, whenever something bad happens to you, you immediately, you don't try to analyze it, understand it, seek God about what's going on. You're just convinced it's this, and you're done. Something bad's in my life, it's the devil. Something bad in my life, maybe I've sinned. Something bad in my life, and God doesn't like me. Listen. When bad things happen in your life, this is the most amazing thing to me. When good things happen in your life, you don't think twice about it. You just go, Whoo, something good. And I'm glad something good happened. But if something good happened, it's not necessarily because you're that great. Or if something good happened, it wasn't because you're that perfect. So you've got to, we've got to begin to be a lot more intuitive and, 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 and spiritually analyze i think a little bit deeper because once job finally because here we are in chapter five job doesn't get it until chapter 42 and once he gets to 42 he begins to understand that 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 he acknowledges god and god's place in the universe and his place in his life god begins to pray for his friends and the bible says that the moment he begins to pray for his friends the whole situation begins to turn around. So the issue was, apparently, that, that maybe he was selfish. Maybe his fear was he would lose all of this. And so he was, he was way too selfish. But as he began to release things, that God said, that's what I'm trying to begin to work into your life. I, I don't know. I'm kind of working through these concepts. But this much I do know. This is the part, it's kind of a long way to get to here. That these people, as they come and they share things with Job, I believe that what they're saying can be on target in people's lives if it's applied in the right situation. And this is what... Did I say that pretty good? All right. I mean, the reason I'm asking is because I was really struggling the other day outside of So I mean, I was trying... You know, I was thinking about picking up mayonnaise, and I'm thinking about Eliphaz, and it's just... So listen to this. In Job chapter 5, listen... To this verse 17 it says behold happy is the man whom god corrects therefore do not despise the chastening of the almighty for he bruises but he binds up he wounds but his hands make whole he shall deliver you in six troubles yes in seven no evil shall touch you in famine he shall redeem you from death and in war from the power of the sword You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine, and you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth, for you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field. And the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. You shall also know that your descendants shall be many, and your offspring like grass of the earth. You shall come to the grave at a full age. In other words, you won't die too soon. As a sheaf of grain ripens in its season. Behold, we have searched out, and it is true. Hear it and know for yourself. So, Eliphaz tells us that if we embrace the correction of the Lord, some incredible blessings can be released in our life. He says, You can be made whole, you can be delivered from evil, you can be fed during famine. That you won't be harmed during a war. You would be hidden from criticism. Hallelujah. I mean, it would be positive. You can, have, you can have positive happenings even during your trials. It says your job will be favored. There'll be peace in your house. There'll be order in your home. But he states all of this on the basis that he has checked this out and it is true. He says, I checked it out. It is true. However, you have to embrace correction. It's very very important because we'll like verses eighteen through twenty-seven. It's just that verse seventeen. You gotta embrace correction. Now, now that's that's where we start when it comes to dealing with a dysfunction. And listen very very carefully. If you refuse correction, you gotta write this down too. I tell you, there's a lot of things you ought to write down today. If you refuse correction. You will deal with consequences. I want everyone just to repeat after me. I want you to say this. Say, say if I refuse correction, I will reap consequences. You got to know that. Correction actually circumvents consequences in your life. How many of us know people at this very moment, Christian people... That are living a life full of consequences because they were incapable of receiving correction. God didn't spare them from that. They don't understand it. They they don't understand why God doesn't help and bless and do these things. They don't they don't get that God says I I, I can bless, but but your character is. More important than my blessing. I really want you to look more like Jesus. I want you to function more like he did. That's how life's supposed to be lived. So so if we don't want correction, we're going to live a life full of consequences. Now, let's go to this. Why is correction so important? Now, this is going to be counseling 101. Listen to this. Why is correction so important? Number one, it is because you don't know everything. No one here knows everything. No one knows everything about marriage. No one knows everything about parenting. No one knows everything about relationships. No one knows everything about friendships. No one knows everything about God. No one knows everything about the Bible. No one knows everything about ministry. The minute you think you know everything, you're in trouble. Because the minute you think, you know, everything you are reaching an unteachable, uncorrectable place. And because you and I don't know everything, it is highly likely that we will make some decisions that will need correction. This is really interesting. Contrary to popular opinion, 18 may give you the right to vote, but it doesn't give you the right to have any sense. 18 is not some magical number. That makes you mature and all-knowing and all-wise. Dear God, I know people that are 81. They're not very mature. Life's just crazy. We don't know everything. That is at least a point of humility. We don't know everything. So if you don't know everything, it means something could be amiss that has to be adjusted or corrected. You don't know everything. Number two Here's another revelational statement. You aren't perfect. See, now you can go put your bumper sticker back on. Everybody, amen, say amen. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody everybody does. And if you put enough mistakes together without correction, you get dysfunction. And you get consequences. Number three, why is correction so important? It's so you can stay on target with God. If you're going the wrong direction, you need someone to tell you to turn, please. In Proverbs ten verse seventeen, Proverbs ten seventeen, it says this: He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray if we won't receive correction then automatically the bible tells us that we're going to begin to move off the beaten path one of the shows that trace and i love to watch it may be on tonight is amazing race on tonight sunday night watch amazing race anybody watch amazing race i mean i I like amazing race i don't think i could do that Tracy and I have often looked at each other and said, do you think you and I could do that? And we thought, no, we'd have to stop at the divorce court somewhere along the way if we were to do that. I couldn't do it because there's some things I can't. I hate heights and she hates water. And we'd have been toast this last race. I can tell you that right now. I'm just, I'm, I just, there's some parts of it that I think would be really cool, but there are other parts I am just not sure I could do. But the amazing, it's an amazing thing, the amazing race. And for those of you that haven't watched it, it's a race around the world. And they have to follow directions and go to different cities and they, they have to fly and, 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 and they have to open up clues. And it's just, it's kind of an interesting thing. But there's this, there's this Asian brother and sister, I believe they're lawyers. And I'll never forget the one segment. And that is, they were, they were going through this segment and, and he was convinced this was the way to go. They were following these signs that weren't exactly like the signs that you're taught to follow in this particular uh, game show or this particular race. I think the race's signs are like, are like yellow and red. But the signs that he was following were white and red. Very close. And so they were following these white and red signs and they were going deeper and deeper and deeper into this, into this forest. And the whole time as they were going, he was saying, we've got to go, we've got to go. And she was going, I don't think this is the way to go. I don't think this is the way to go. And he goes, this is the way to go, this is the way to go. And she kept saying over and over again, no, I think, I think we need to turn around. And, and he literally exhausted himself before he finally said, maybe you're right. Now, they remarkably did not lose after making that sort of error close, but they didn't lose. I wonder how many of us go down a road that looks close, but it's not it. And someone's looking at you going, I don't think this is the way. I wouldn't do this if I were you. I wouldn't go there. And you're going, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. And the only way anybody can stop you is when you're so far in the forest that you're so exhausted and you've lost your compass and you know you're wrong that you go, well, maybe. Isn't that hilarious? It's just, that's a totally man thing. We are, we are allowing for the slight possibility we're wrong. There could be a slight possibility I missed it somewhere. And bless the women's hearts. they they, they're going they all right they won't they won't own up to it but at least we'll get back on the right path here but if you're going to stay on target with god sometimes someone's going to say this is not the right sign this is not the right direction this is not the way to go You can stay on target with God. Now, I know this one is, this is just biblical. You aren't going to believe me until you read it. But number four is, why is correction so important? Because it keeps you from looking stupid. (laughs) I want to read just the Bible to you here. Proverbs 12, verse 1. Listen to this, this is the Bible. It says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. That's the Bible, but it says that he who hates correction is stupid. The moment, the moment you refuse correction, the Bible says it's not me. Don't please do not be mad at me. I just read the Bible. Do you? The Bible says God says you're stupid. Now, listen to me. This is what I believe about the scripture. I believe that, that when you find a verse and it says something, usually, conversely, if, if you take it, it's, it's just as true. So I believe he who embraces correction is a genius. A genius. So don't be stupid. Who here wants to be stupid? Don't well, raise your hand. I could see somebody sleeping going, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm for that Pastor." <laughs> Put your hand down. You don't want to. be. The number five, it releases the help of God. Correction releases the help of God. And again, I'm not going to read you all of the verses that I read out of the text, but you can see here all sorts of things. I mean, do you, do you want to be bound up and, and made whole? Uh, be delivered. No evil shall touch you um the scourge of the tongue being being hidden from that laughing at destruction um not being afraid of what goes on in the earth your tent is at peace oh my lord if our house could just be at peace you shall come to the grave at a full age how many people die too early these are all the things that god will release to us if we'll receive correction now there are several great analogies of this in the bible now let me just stop here because i'm going to share one other thing while i'm here here's what most people say listen this is really important point listen most people say this well i have no problem being corrected by god sure sure the lord can speak to me and correct me the holy spirit can come and correct me aren't you spiritual You are so spiritual. The problem is that God very seldom has the ability to crack through your head and heart to do direct correction like that. Now, I'm not saying it can't. He does do that, and some can receive that, and I'm not suggesting it happens. But can I just share this with you? Because I'll show it to you all through the Scripture. Most correction doesn't come by direct authority. It comes by delegated authority. See, God uses your boss. And when you're late to work and he looks at you and he says, work starts here at eight and it ends at five. And you walk away and go, what do you think he is? (laughs) Well, he's the guy that signs your check. And at that moment, he's the voice of the Lord helping you. Helping you for a promotion. Why would he promote someone who can't tell time? Have you ever thought about that before? Why would he promote? See, we don't, we don't. See, that's what we don't get. Oh, yeah, yeah. God can speak to me. He can correct me. Anytime God wants to get to me, he can get to me. Yeah. And the same person that says that is this is the same person that says, well, God wants me to have, you know, spiritual language. He'll just dump it on me. You know, like I always find that amazing how we'll just make God anything we want to make him. Now, listen to all of these particular analogies. The prophetic office in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, some in the New as well, but a lot of times it had the element of correction to it. For instance, Nathan comes to David when he had sinned with Bathsheba and he and he tries. I believe he tried and there were other ways that David probably was reached out to to repent and make amends. But finally, you know, you know, David was probably, yeah, I know God. I brought I set up the tabernacle out of my backyard God can get through to me anytime he wants. Well, then why did it take Nathan stepping into your chambers with everybody in the community there saying, thou art the man? Apparently, you don't hear God so well or as well as you think. Elijah confronted Ahab when he and his wife Jezebel manipulated away Naboth's garden. John confronted Herod. Cost him his life. As he confronted him as he was sleeping around with all sorts of family members. Isn't that disgusting? But all of this, listen, all of this was designed to bring deliverance and not destruction. God wasn't out to destroy David. He wanted to deliver David. David was a good king. Can I say this about David? This is an interesting thing about David. David was really a good king. And the Bible says that he had a heart after God. Now listen to me when I say this. The heart after God passage was early in David's reign. When he's sleeping with Bathsheba, can I just say this? His heart wasn't after God at that moment. So he had a heart after God, and I believe that, that he had a sweet spirit and a tender spirit toward the Lord. And I understand that the Lord still uses his kingdom as imagery with regards to the messianic kingdom. So I get all of those things. But as good a king as David was, David was a lousy dad. He was, and I think he was a lousy dad because he had a lousy dad. Jesse overlooked him when the prophet came through and and left David in the sheep field. So I know there was dysfunction in the house of Jesse with regards to his relationship to David. But David suddenly becomes a dad and he has difficulty with his sons, Absalom, Amnon, Adonijah, even Solomon. Solomon had a problem. Solomon had a big sex problem. He had like 800 concubines and 300 wives. I don't want to be indelicate, but he was busy. But I'm telling you, that's sick. That's sick. Where did that come from? Well, probably came from a generational DNA transmission from David who didn't have his act totally together in that area. But do you realize that experts tell us that to raise functional children, for instance... We will have to establish boundaries that will entail correction and consequences. Now, I'm just talking in earthly terms right now. If we want children to hit their destiny, if we want children to have a great future, then we've got to understand, moms, dads, there are corrections and there are consequences. Parents that refuse to correct or even allow consequences, because I've known parents through the years, that any time that there was a consequence finally to their behavior, the kids' behavior, they would bail them out. They'd bail them out of their problems, bail them out of jail, bail them out of their hurt, bail them out of their failure. Do you understand that when we bail our kids out of certain consequences, we are circumventing the law of God that says what you sow, that you will reap. Now you see, the reason we don't think that way is because we've not been renewed in our thinking to think biblically. Now, I love my kids and you love your children. We all love our kids as, as much as anyone could love them. But folks, they aren't going to get where they need to go unless there's correction. And if they won't receive correction, there has to be consequence. So it is with all of us. We're the children of God. We were out and around town the other day. And I'm just amazed at the generation we live in. We, we live in a generation that's rude. Now, i tell you, I just tell you how we don't think this is biblical. We don't think issues of rudeness is biblical, but can I just share this with you? The Bible says, and I'm quoting the Bible, love is not rude. First Corinthians 13, everybody knows that chapter. Love is not rude. Is it not sad? I know we've all done it. I've done it. You've done it. I'm not saying anything. We all have it done. But is it not sad when our children get a gift or something from someone? Is it not sad that we have to continually say this? What do you say? What do you say? Come on, what do you say? Well, and then, and then what do we do is, well, well, they're very grateful. Well, you need to just take that out of their hand. See, see, what's the consequence? If they're not going to see, that's just gentle correction. What are you going to say? That's just gentle correction. What are you going to say? A rude generation. Are you thinking about how they, how they interact and they act at school and at church and in other people's homes? Because if you don't correct them today, a judge will correct them someday. I would rather correct my children today than leave it in the hands of some godless judge. If you don't correct them today, they'll get fired tomorrow. If you don't correct them today, they'll flunk out. If you don't correct them today, they won't receive the blessings of God. Do you understand? This isn't about being hard-nosed. This is about getting them to a destiny. And you got to understand that God and and people and even authority isn't being hard with you. Sometimes it is the work of the Lord trying to get you to a destiny, getting you to a future. Now, why don't we like this? If we don't know if there is. Such benefit, then why do we struggle with it? Can i just I just can, just transparent time i don 't like correction. I mean, does anybody really like it? I mean, do you really like hearing how wrong you are? No, nobody likes this nobody, nobody wants correction and can I just say this i don 't know that i I like it any more than any other person, but I started. As I was just doing this lesson, knowing that, that people needed to break out of dysfunction, I started asking myself, why is it that we don't like to be corrected? Why, why is that? And, and just I'm going to go through this real fast. Number one is, can I just share this? It's just pride. It's pride. Pride goes before a fall. God says that he will exalt the humble, but he will abase the proud. And we've got to realize that pride runs deep. Pride is probably next to selfishness. One of the deepest diseases in our system. We don't want to admit when we failed. We don't want to admit when we're wrong. Number two, I put down here, feelings of failure. I I know for me is that I want to do well. I desire to do well. I don't want to disappoint. I don't want to do anything that would make someone upset. I want to live for God. I want all these things. And then when I'm told that I didn't measure up, then these feelings of failure begin to manifest. And, and so we don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that I failed. I don't want to hear that I didn't live up. Maybe, maybe that's perfectionism. Maybe, maybe there's a twisted understanding in there. But a lot of times we don't want it because we felt like we failed. Can I suggest this to you? That maybe if correction comes, it's the mercy of God that's getting you back to success. Now, that, that's going to take a, a mind switch, a mind renewal. Number three I wrote down here is the reason we don't like it is because sometimes it was applied abusively. That, that you experienced correction at some level and, and it was abusive towards you. Now, the key, I believe the key to correction is presentation. But let me be clear. Some people's feelings are so easily hurt that you could serve it up perfectly and it would be received as if you were being abusive. I'll just go back. If you come in late to work and your boss says you need to be here at 8 o'clock, I know some people that have quit. And walk out and say, "Can you believe this?" And and you're going, "What? He wanted you there at eight o'clock. That's what he wanted. He signed your check. He has a business to run. He just... Are you with me? I, I mean, it doesn't matter. You 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 can present it. You can put a bow around it. You can give three. You know, I've heard this before. Give three words of encouragement to one word of correction. You can. You can doctor it up all sorts of wonderful, nice ways. But the truth of the matter is some folks have reached the place in our society today that to hear that they could be wrong, it doesn't matter how it comes to them. It's gonna be, they're going to act like they've been abused. And that's not a... Now, you know what that is? That, that's a slap in the face to those who have really been abused. Can we just get honest? few of us, there are a few of us that receive correction at an emotional level very well. I'm just standing here talking to you. Like I said, this isn't something I do headstands over. For most people, when we're corrected, it is everything we can do to not get defensive, to not get wounded, to not get offended, to not be upset, not to justify, to enter into our defense mode, to whatever it is we do. That is why next week, the next lesson is, I'm going to have a topic for you that's gonna be perfect for Mother's Day. By the way, guys, it's Mother's Day next Sunday it's mother's day don't be stupid (laughs) all right but we're going to talk about how that works how that dynamic works to break your dysfunction I hope I hope you know there's a there's a good turnout for that as well but you know why America's so dysfunctional as a nation it's because we've reached the place that we are uncorrectable as a nation I honestly believe that for America now again I This I am so through with politics, so don't try to make a political statement out of this. But truth of the matter is, there are times that America acts like it can do no wrong. There are times that's how we act. It's because we have reached a place where we think just because we have the greatest economy, the greatest standard of living, where it seems like everything's just so great and we're better, you know, in, in the natural outgrowth of life, so much better than the rest of the world. We just think somehow or another we've got our act together. And can I just share with you that's wrong. It's the same, it's, it's, it's the same concept on a grander scale as if I were to stand here and look at you and say, Donald Trump thinks he's got his life all together. Oh yeah, just because he's got a billion dollars and he owns skyscrapers in New York and he's got a television show and a brand name and all this and everybody just ooh-ahs over him and Mr. Trump but he's got his helicopter, he can go here, there and the rest. So he must be okay. No! Not even close. And it's because there is no ability to bring correction into that situation. We refuse to listen to men and women of God. We refuse to listen as a nation to the church, to experience. So this is what God is doing. Listen, this is what is so amazing about God. He is so secure in himself that he doesn't care if we don't like him. That God is so secure in himself that he looks and he says, if you won't hear the correction from the prophets, if you won't hear the correction from the pastors, if you won't hear the correction from the church and from experience, I will lift the hedge. And I'll get your attention somehow. And now we're going to experience the consequences. Now, I believe America can still be turned around, but if we don't hurry up and get that, As Americans, we are on borrowed time. God will let America suffer. God will let America be challenged to its very bone and its very core. I I understand there are prophets hollering out there saying, God won't let anything happen to America because of this. Let me tell you something. There is no child. There is no nation. There is no one that's going to spit in the eyes of God and think they're going to get away with it it doesn 't bother him he saw, he saw he saw this land before America was stamped on it, and he does it to all of us as well, and he doesn 't do it because he 's mad he does it to get us back on track so whether it 's a nation or an individual to deal with this function, you have to be correctable now i 'm going to end with this, and we 're done and and again i just i 'm just amazed at the relevant illustrations that come my direction. But just this week, and this happens all the time, literally all the time, it's sad. But just this week, I had two illustrations come to me. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about two Christian families, and they're not a part of Legacy, so don't think, who's here? Okay, there's nobody here. I've met a lot of people over the years. But just recently heard two Christian families. That are absolute, they were absolutely uncorrectable. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't even hear a tough word preached to them. Much less a direct word given to them. And uh, just t- totally uncorrectable. And now life, life is absolutely collapsing. One of the families decided, I mean, they were, they were really, as I understand, very spiritual and in tune. And all of a sudden it's, you know, wh- you know God isn't alive. He isn't around. I don't want anything to do with them. And they've gone another direction. Another one's gone back to their alcoholism, back to those ways. And it all stemmed, I can tell you this, what it all stemmed from. It didn't stem from the fact that it was a wilderness experience. It, I'm sure wilderness has come and these things are true. It didn't stem from the fact that somehow or another that, you know, God didn't love them like he loved other people. or It stemmed from the fact that they just couldn't hear one simple thing of correction. Just, just be teachable. Not to hurt you, not to harm you. Nobody gets any sadistic pleasure. Well, maybe there is a little sadistic pleasure. I don't know. No. But it's blessed is the man who receives correction. Because the future is bright. The, 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 the future is limitless. And if, and if we'll do that, if we will do that, we can avoid consequences. Because one way or the other, God's going to do his best to reach out to us. Do you believe that? Don't go the hard way. Don't go the pain way. Don't go the way of the transgressor. It's hard. But go the way of the righteous man and the blessed man. The man who receives instruction. And God will do some amazing things in your life. Amen. Would you stand with me? This with our eyes closed, our heads bowed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pray here just a moment. I believe this is what the Holy Spirit just told me to do right now. He said, as you pray, I'm going to begin to reveal to some people some things that have, that have been input into their life that they've forgotten or they've overlooked or they've dismissed. It was trying to bring some level of correction to them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enliven that right now in order that they can begin to get back on target. For some of you right now, that moment of accepting that will pull you out of your circumstances and get you back on that path that God can bless and help and assist. Heavenly Father, I appreciate this morning the faithfulness you have in our midst. I appreciate, Lord, how how you release your presence and your spirit in our midst in order to Speak to us what I call in between the lines. Or that even though I had things that I felt like I were led of you to say that, Lord, you can you can say things above and beyond and in between, even what I've shared and speak to the hearts of people. Lord, I can tell you right now, as I said earlier, I believe that in the midst of this place, there is a great people, a great nation. But Lord, we'll only remain a great people and a great nation as we remain obedient we stay on target and as we implement correction so we don't have to experience consequence lord i pray right now that if it be pride that lord we just one more time go to the cross and die to that pride if it's feelings of failure lord i pray right now that somehow we would be able to shake out of that soul emotion and that somehow we would realize that Though it doesn't feel good that, Lord, ultimately it is good. Lord, that's really, really hard. I confess to you, that is really, really hard at times. But, Lord, I believe your spirit can help us. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that we would be people who could. Lord, not in abusive ways. We don't want to receive abuse. But we do want to receive genuine, loving correction and input into our life. Lord, help us. Help us to get our feelings off our shirt sleeves. Lord, help us quit wearing our feelings just on the outer shell of our skin. And all we have to do is just be brushed and somehow or another we're twisted. Lord, help us, help us to find a divine toughness. Not, 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 not a hardness of shell, but just, Lord, a, an ability to, to say, Okay, I, I have ears to hear. I have eyes to see. I really want, I really want to hit the target. I don't want to live all my life and find out I've been stupid. Lord, help us in that regard right now. I believe, Lord, that your word is true. That if we will embrace that, not just from you as you interact with us on a personal basis, but Lord, even as we interact with authorities and as we interact with our spouses and as we interact with just everyday boss and, and situations of people. And Lord, nobody's called us to be the great corrector, but Lord, there are times there's a legitimate place to hear the voice of another say, you need to consider this. Lord, give us a good spirit if we're the ones that have to say it, but at the same time, Lord, give us a good spirit if we're the ones that have to see it and receive it. But Lord, I pray right now that as I've, I've just instructed and counseled and taught your people as best I know how, I pray, Lord, that now the, the blessings of Job 5 would just ignite in them and that they would begin to see that, Lord, all that is promised can come to pass in their life if they can get a hold of some of these precepts. Lord, I believe you want to bless this church. You want to bless this people. I believe you want to turn us around as a nation. I believe, Lord, that, that if we don't do something radically quick, that we may not hand off the same nation to our kids that we had. Lord, help us, help us find the strategy to do that. Would you just, right as you're standing, would you just begin to love the Lord? Let's just do that this morning. Would you just, some of you, if you're comfortable, maybe if you're not comfortable, just step across the line and and begin to lift your hands to the Lord and begin to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. You are good and you are great. And Lord, you do, you do. You have certainly your purposes and your interests. And your agenda. And Lord, we're stepping into that. We want to be a part of what you're up to in the earth. And so, Lord, we honor you today. We receive with gladness what your word has shared with us. Lord, we receive that into our system. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand? praise god praise god all right this week now the men meet on tuesday night we got uh women of power connect groups going monday and tuesday wednesday we're back on consecrate clash you'll want to be there it's going to be a great month of may before you're released you must turn around and hug about three or four people's neck say god bless you god's got a plan for you i'm so glad i know you and god bless you you're released this morning